It's Leader Connect podcast time and this one is perfect for chilling in your PJs and taking some time out or listening to whilst you're driving home for Christmas. Maritz Polter is the executive producer of Sky Atlantic's award-winning Dasbot. If you've not watched it, add it to your binge list now because it's epic and stunning and completely addictive. In this episode, we talk creative leadership, leading through change, how to communicate as a leader and how to successfully lead a deeply talented team. There's also a few name drops, obviously. Now, if like me, you use some of your Christmas break to A, eat a lot of chocolate and B, set your goals and aspirations for next year, which by the way, you can do at any time of the year, then you should grab yourself a copy of the leadership book by Neil Jurd and use that as your guide to becoming a more confident, more balanced and happier leader next year. You'll find the book on Amazon where it has hundreds of five star reviews. Okay, lights, camera, action, I regret saying that. Here's your pod. 25 years ago, I was at university and I was studying drama and dance, which was all I ever wanted to do. And I had a really cool group of friends. And within our kind of second year, um, we added a new friend to that really, really cool group of friends. Um, And this guy was a young German guy who came along and and I kind of felt this instant connection because I'd spent a lot of my life in Germany, didn't speak a word of German, um, but I kind of thought this is this is really cool. And from the get go, I think we quickly realized and I've got some really, really talented friends, but we quickly realized that this young man was going to had a really strong vision. He was going to do something really interesting and really spectacular. He had a very good, clear and compelling purpose. And I remember, and I think, and he'll correct me if I'm wrong, that I may have been part of the first ever film that he made. Could I please welcome Maritz Polter to the Leader Connect podcast? Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. And you are, of course, speaking to me um, from Munich today. I am, as ever, inside the Leader Connect shed, which is not quite as glamorous. But One of the things I always ask all of my guests to do in 60 seconds, could you sum up your CV or your life story, however you want to put it? I think I could do it in less, but I will I will try and fill the 60 seconds. No, I mean, you know, I was I was born in Bonn. Um, I lived in Jakarta from from the ages of three to seven important years because you you learn, you know, what a different life can be like. Uh, living there. Uh, Then we went back to Germany. I was in Hamburg. I was in Munich. I was in a boarding school for three years. So I learned to live that life as well, which was fun. Then I did my um, civilian service, very important. I worked with children who had leukemia. It gave me a perspective on life. I then went to the UK, met you, uh, and put you in the first film I ever did. Exactly right. Um, we, I, I did business, joint media, and film studies there. Uh, from there, I went to Germany, started uh, working um, as a production secretary at the very bottom of the, the ladder and worked my way up to becoming an executive producer. And for the last five years, I was at Bavaria Fiction, where I produced uh, the series Das Boot, three seasons of that, um, internationally acclaimed. I think it did quite well. And a year ago, I left them to start my own label with ITV Studios called Midlife Pictures. 
So you've done all right, I think. And I wanted to ask you as well, and I talked about this kind of concept of the clear and compelling purpose. Now, I pretty much knew from a very early age what it was that I wanted to do. Um, Actually, I wanted to work in TV, but I quickly discovered that radio was better because I didn't have to do my hair in the morning, which was gorgeous (laughs) and wonderful and lovely. And I could use my voice, which I loved. But did you always know what it was that you wanted to do? And what do you think was your kind of clear and compelling purpose from, I don't know, from university onwards? I, I would say I did and I didn't end up doing it. Um, it's, uh, you know, I wanted to become an actor. Um, and um, at some stage in my life, I think I was at, uh, at a, um, a tube station with a friend of my sister's who had just finished her drama classes. Uh, we were talking about it. I was ready to to go and apply for drama um, schools. Uh, I had my monologue already prepped and everything. And when we had a long chat, and um, and after that, I, you know, I said, okay, I, I'll abandon that idea because I don't. A, I want to know that I'm good at something, and I don't want to be in the in the situation that only critics and um, viewers will tell me that I'm good. I want to know that I'm good. Um, and B, I, I didn't want to live on bread and water, so I, I thought, okay, let's let's do uh, let's do the other side of things, um, where where you have your um, future in your own hands, and 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 work on on the other side of the screen. So that's really interesting because I hadn't realized that I um, we uh, we did the most amazing performance together when we were at university um, and you were you were a brilliant actor in that. I, I everybody was was great in it. But I do remember you standing out as a great actor, but I hadn't realized that's what you wanted to do. Um, so thank you for kind of being open and honest about that. Do you ever look back and kind of think, oh, what what if or, um, you know, maybe I could step in at this point or maybe just having that desire to have been an actor has helped you kind of work with actors for the last, you know, 25 years? I would say I would say the, the, the latter. I think that obviously wanting to be an actor and and also, you know, knowing your own limitations or maybe not limitations, but where the vulnerability that you have to um, accept and um, and make part of your everyday life, um, which is what actors have to do in order to be great, uh, is something that I didn't want for myself. Um, and I wanted to know that, you know, as I said, that that what I'm doing is successful because I'm doing it right. And I think as a producer, you can see that much clearer than as an actor. Um, and uh, so, so I think talking to actors has been easier because of that, because of that knowledge and because of the desire to, you know, that, that was there once. I would say now, you know, whenever I'm asked whether I want to, um, you know, in a casting session, play opposite an actor or whatever, I I rather won't do it. I mean, I'm doing it from time to time. And um, the best time uh, in the last couple of years was when we were casting for the first season of this boat with, um, uh, for the role of Simon. And um, the the actress um, was in, um, was in London because she was uh, shooting opposite Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, and, she was very fragile because obviously he's a method actor and it was a very difficult time for her. And so, um, so she, you know, I, I called her and I said, could we come and could we do an audition? And because her life story was similar to the life story of the character in Dustboard, 
she said yes, and but she only wanted to see me and the director, not even a casting director present. Um, we did it in the casting director's offices, but I was playing opposite her, and I immediately fell in love with Vicky Creeps because it was a scene where I was smitten with her, and I looked into her eyes, and she flirted with me as her character would have, and I couldn't differentiate between the character and her. And afterwards, I wouldn't be able to say uh, whether there was anyone else in the world who could have done the job any better than her. Um, so I learned the hard way that you shouldn't do that. I mean, she was brilliant and she got, you know, awards for the part. And I think it was right that we took her and the director, you know, was also saying so. So it wasn't just me having fallen deeply in love with her. But it's, uh, it's something that you have to be careful of. What, what an absolutely beautiful story. And I, I can see how that could so easily happen because surrounding yourself with people who just have this innate ability to turn on the most beautiful emotions, I can see how you could quite easily fall in love with them. I get that. Um, so listen, this is... Um, this is a leadership podcast, but I would love to talk about acting all day. I'm thinking perhaps there's another idea for another podcast at some point. Um, but so, yes, yeah, so we do focus on leader, but leadership. But what I also wanted to do is tap into some of your communications abilities. You have worked, as you've just highlighted, uh, with some of the best communicators in the world. Um, I've also seen your kind of journey as well and, and seen what a brilliant communicator you are. But the first thing that I wanted to ask you was, what does great leadership look like to you? Well, I think it's listening. It's part of it um, or, or, or a big part of it or, you know, hearing things that aren't said and then acting on them. Um, that is leadership, but also just um, standing, you know, next to or behind the person that you want to succeed and make sure that they feel that they're in a safe space and um, and rely on them. And you have to genuinely rely on them, not just, you know, say, yeah, you know, without you, I couldn't do this. You have to also let go and and let them be the ones that that are doing it. So I think that takes quite a lot of trust, doesn't it? You know, when you, um, I've worked in a lot of different teams o over the years and um, some of it's about, you know, um, uh, communicating and building those relationships, which sometimes you have to do quite quickly, but also about trust. So you can't rely on people, I don't think, without building trust with them. How do you work with um, teams that I suppose are quite transient. So you'll, you'll, I'm maybe making assumptions here. You'll, you'll come in to do a particular production and quite quickly, you've got to build that relationship with the team. How do you go about doing that? And how do you build that trust? I would imagine relatively quickly. Well, I think it's, it's a combination of two things. You, you, A, obviously try to surround yourself with people that you have worked with before. And then you have to trust your instincts when you when you have your first, second, third meeting with someone before you hire them. That um, you know what they say you will get is what you will get, and um, obviously the proof is in the pudding. And it's hard to know. Uh, and sometimes you know your your gut instinct was wrong, and then you have to exchange them very very quickly. But um, but in in our industry, you first have to trust them because, as you say, it's it's so quick. Um, that you know you won't be able to have a long um, trial period. You just throw them into the deep water, and then if if your instincts were wrong, if you were off, then first obviously you try to give them a second chance and and help them along. But then you have to also you know cut your losses very quickly. 
Yeah, I I agree with that. And I um, I mean, this taps into a little bit about how do you successfully bring teams together? And I wondered that I always had this mantra um, when I was putting teams together myself, whether or not that was in broadcasting or in or in training delivery of of hiring people who I genuinely believed were better than I was. So the talent that was that was better than me, that had the better vision, that had um Sometimes that's not always possible, but I wondered whether or not you necessarily agree with that or that's a, an ethos that perhaps you have uh, kind of tapped into in the past. Well, I mean, I think that on, on a film set, everyone knows Agile better than I do. Um, I, you know, I, I call myself um, a generalist, someone who can do basically everything a little bit, but nothing really good. And, and so I think that's, that's what producers are. And they have to see the quality of the other people and, and, and what they can do. What, what we do is steer them a little bit. What we do is make the decisions that are the difficult decisions that no one else wants to make. Uh, we, you know, um, we get into fights with our directors um, for the good of the series, but also for the budget, um, sometimes for creative purposes. But uh, when it comes to costume, makeup, uh, you know, production design, um, also camera work and, and all the rest of that, everyone knows more than I do. Um, but they do want my opinion, always. Um, and they want to be backed, basically. You can sense, you know, if they show you two, three things, which one is the one that they like most. Most of the time you go with that in order to make sure that it's also their vision that we are creating together. And sometimes you steer them because you feel they are not quite on the vision that um, you initially had you with your director, the director with you, depending on, you know, who was the first and whether this is a, a director led show or a producer led show. You've kind of hinted at it just there, that there's a, there's a tremendous amount of, moving parts as the, as there is in you know a lot of industries but a lot of moving parts in terms of putting a production together so I wanted to understand how you specifically lead through kind of challenge so I don't know location changes you've mentioned budgets quite a few times in in our chat um you know time scale changes difficult people all of those kind of things how do you lead through really challenging situations well I think you know the most important thing is to be there um, and 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 observe and then listen and then sometimes give advice and then listen some more and I think that the being there is is actually the you know that's the key to everything because most of the time when you have challenges people know the answers to the challenges they just don't want to make the decisions because they are uh, afraid they might step on someone's toes or um, that the decision is wrong. Um, that you know they're exposed when they when when make those decisions and and so being there and supporting them in getting to that stage where they feel comfortable to to make the decisions themselves is I think what leadership is all about because if you come in and always say okay we'll do this we'll do that then you're the one that everyone turns to when it comes to any questions or any problems and then you don't get the best of them because. It shouldn't be my decision that is ultimately the one that that you know is done. It should be their conviction that makes them decide something. And um, it's much easier 
to look at the person above than to have your own convictions. But if you want to have a great show, you need people with convictions. So I think that one of the main roles of of the leader is to be a really fabulous coach. And by that, I mean that pretty much everyone, and you've just hinted at this, pretty much everybody has the answers that they need. It's just a case that sometimes they're locked inside our minds because, like you said, you know, I don't want to rock the boat or I don't want to say the wrong thing or whatever it is. And I think that the role of the leader is to coach those answers out of people. And you've said by going through a process of just listening to people and then perhaps asking the right questions, that's how we end up getting them to to give us the answers that they already know. And I think that's such an important part of being a leader. Listen, can we do this weird bit in the middle that I call the sandwich? And I realized last night because I was um, interviewing um, um, Dean Stott, who is a member of the special forces or was and and has done some amazing and crazy things in in his life. And it, it took a member of the special forces to highlight why I call this the sandwich. It's because it's the good bit in the middle of the the other bits on the other side of it. So the sandwich is kind of the short, snappy section where we find out some kind of fun and interesting stuff about um, the people that I talk to. I, this is an obvious question, and I'm going to make no apologies for it. But what's your favorite film or your favorite series, other than the ones that you produced yourself? Well, I mean, I think you know, I could I could name so many. Um, I, I, you know, in terms of series, one of the ones that that really dear to me is The West Wing. I think that Aaron Sorkin's writing and the way that you know he combines soapiness with clever, witty dialogue and and so fast paced and such wonderful characters. Is something that I think is, is astonishing. I think he's he's just one of the best writers ever. Um, so so series, I would say, The West Wing um, films. Again, you know, you can you can you can name a hundred different ones. Um, at the moment, Stand by Me is very close, you know, very dear to me because um, I've got kids that age uh, now, and I've watched it with them again. Uh, so I don't know how many times I've now seen seen that movie, but you can watch it with them and it still holds up. So um, I think, you know, coming of age films in general and things that make you feel good are something that at the moment I prefer over the ones that are challenging. Um, yeah. And Stand By Me is, I know we've actually, we've had this conversation before. It is a beautiful, beautiful film. And if, if people listening haven't watched it, um, highly recommend that you go and go and have a look at it and I just going back to the West Wing which also I absolutely love and I've probably watched the whole series twice I just wonder can you do that coat thing that Martin Sheen does you know when he puts his jacket on when he's the president yeah no I haven't I haven't tried that I've seen you know I've seen other people do it not just him but I haven't I haven't tried it I think I think I would dislocate my shoulders trying to do it um I, I remember that I watched the first season on Channel 4 while I was still in the UK. And then I came to Germany and I couldn't watch it anywhere because it just wasn't on. So I then had to buy uh, had to buy it. And I, you know, I have the box set uh, at home and I've watched it more than once. And it's just fantastic. Um, just putting this out, out here, I just wonder if it's right for a rerun. I don't know, just a thought. Uh, next question is... Uh, where are we? Um, how important is it for you to take time out? Now, I know that you have a very busy life. It's it's quite transient, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but when you do take time out, what do you do to kind of just give yourself a bit of brain space? 
Well, I mean, I I play tennis at least once a week with a trainer. So I have a personal trainer, if you wish, you know, but playing tennis um, rather than um, trying to build uh, my body into a shape that it doesn't want to be in. Um, I, and, and, and that one hour that I have from seven to eight on Mondays is fantastic for me and something I cherish and I try to keep it. Um, I even do it sometimes, you know, like when I have to fly to LA, I would do it one hour tennis before I fly. Um, I, on Monday, I have to fly to Berlin and I will do the tennis before I fly to Berlin just so that I have the thing that is that is mine. Um, I only get to do that once a week at the moment. Um, and, and that's the only me time I would say that I really have. Um, but it's enough, you know, it's, it's something to look forward to. And, um, you know, one out of seven days, I have something that I call me time. Well, yeah, I mean, I'd recommend that you try to do it every day. I mean, maybe not tennis. I mean, I've just started. Well, actually, I've always been walking, clearly. Um, but but like you, I kind of struggled with the whole kind of building my body into something that perhaps it doesn't want to do. And I just absolutely love walking. And I walk. I mean, it's great weather at the moment, but I walk everywhere. I've ditched the car and I walk everywhere. Um, and it's so easy. It's so easy to do. And it doesn't cost me anything. Um, so I would. Hire- I mean, when, when I'm really stressed, I go walking. Yeah, but that's but but you know that's. Uh, I hope I don't have to do that too often. I was going to say, so your team clearly now always gone off walking. Let's leave him alone. <laughs> so um, the how how do you get it all done? You know, you are so busy and juggling so many different things, and and you've just hinted, you know, being in so many different locations. What's the secret to productivity? I think I think you have to, you know, we. I always have, I don't know, a hundred different balls in the air, and um, you, you just have to prioritize in terms of how much time, how much attention span does each of those balls need from you in order to be solved and 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 you know tucked away or thrown back into the air, and then you order them in 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 the order of how much time you can give them. So if you have five minutes between two calls you take that one that only needs five minutes or you say, Oh no, I would like to just have two done. So you take two that only need, you know, two and a half minutes each. And I think that that's, you know, one way of doing it and always thinking that actually a five minute phone call, a three minute phone call is enough for most of these things to be resolved. You don't have to think, okay, I, you know, I need a clear quarter of an hour, 20 minutes in order to call someone and and get something resolved. Most of the time, it's done in a few minutes. And um, especially if you really know what you want to, uh, you know, have, have the other person here. And, and I, so I think that that's, that's one way of, of juggling it all. And, um, you know, as of late, I also think, you know, being relaxed about it. There are so many things that I could do at any given moment. Um, if I stress about that, they won't get done. If I'm relaxed about it, most likely enough of them get done so that you know no ball drops yeah and I I think you're right and there is that that old story about you know if you give yourself three hours to do something you'll achieve it in three hours but if you gave yourself half an hour you'll probably also achieve it in half an hour so so setting those kind of time parameters and yeah and and judging which which ball is the most important one and I like that you used a tennis analogy I think that's really important (laughs) So let's just move on to looking at communication, because I know that this is clearly an area that you that you work in and that you enjoy and that um, do very well. So how important is it as a leader to be able to communicate really well? 
Well, I, I think I, I think it's the downfall of 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 you know everywhere where there's a problem, it it stems from communication. So if you can't communicate, then you will always run into trouble. Uh, and that I think that's you know at least ninety five percent of all the issues that I have seen are because people don't communicate well. So you know it is it's the key ability one needs to have in order to succeed. And I think everyone can still learn, right? I mean, I feel like um, I'm okay at it. I'm, I'm good enough to have gotten where I am right now, um, but I can still learn. And I can still, I mean, I, I also know that, you know, there are people with whom communication is harder and you need to get to know them better in order to communicate better to them. They need either clearer um, answers from you or more freedom and reading between the lines because they don't want to be told what to do. Some want to be told what to do, but you don't want to just say it like that. So it's, you know, it's, it's all also a question of who is opposite you and how do they receive um, the communication that, 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 that you have with them. And understanding the, the person who is standing opposite you is... Um, Tremendously important. The concept of listening more than 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 saying stuff, because that's how we learn how different people respond to uh, different ways of communicating. So I think the leader part of communication is listening, and that's probably more important than opening your mouth and saying something. To be fair, sometimes you know, and this is this is what I mean. Sometimes people are. Sometimes people actually want you to say what what you think because they you know because they don't they are not able to read between the lines as much as you would think or they don't want to be as self-dependent as you would like them to be or as you think they would want to be you know this is also a, a question of what do you think the opposite wants might not be what the opposite wants and you have to sometimes um, remember that <laughs> like that on a t-shirt that would be good on a t-shirt you only have to kind of go on to onto the internet and put your name in the internet and you can see the kind of uh, environments that you've communicated in some some fairly high profile environments and I wanted to understand that in those kind of situations what is your secret to kind of getting your message across and the reason I ask this is in a lot of the coaching that I do when I speak to leaders, they have this kind of um, understandable fear of standing up in front of people or being in a big room full of people, irrespective of whether or not what they've got to say is brilliant and passionate. They, they really, really fear it. But I wondered how you cope with those environments. I'm actually more scared when I'm in front of one big network executive than if I'm in front of a crowd of peers in inverted commas. I mean, talking, talking at these conventions, which I do regularly, they like me there uh, because I, uh, I'm not so shy and I uh, rattle the cage from time to time, which is why I get invited. It's become more difficult now that I'm, uh, you know, I'm part of ITV studios. I have to be a little more corporate than, than before. Um, but uh, yeah, my 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 previous um, uh, press person called me uncorporate uh, Moritz. So that's a, you know that, that was probably the reason why I was being invited to these um, these panels. But but I think that I think that 
you know, when when I prepare for for the panels or for for network executive meetings, um, I try not to do it too early in advance. I try to just, uh, you know, I know the material that I want to talk about inside out. Um, th there are some key points that you want to uh, bring across. You write those key points down. I don't have them in front of me uh, because I've written them down. I should know them. Um, and if I don't, then they weren't important enough. And I think that that's, you know, you, you, you're also living in the moment and, um, you know, entertaining an audience and getting your points across um, are sometimes conflicting. And I think entertaining the audience is at least as important because it, you are selling yourself, not just your ideas, but yourself, your company. And so, um, you know, the entertainment factor, at least on the bigger panels, is, is at least as important as the facts that you want to um, relay. So the, the golden thread that is that has just gone through everything that you've just said to me is this sense of authenticity, you know, people inviting you back to things because you kind of rock the boat just a little bit. And that's that's authentic to you. I mean, I know you, but but that is authentic to you. And this is so important in everything that anybody does, whether or not that's standing up on a stage or standing in a boardroom or like you said, going in to speak to, to someone of a seemingly higher rank than than you is being your authentic self and through being your authentic self comes that element of entertainment and that that realness and 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 you tapping into exactly what it is that you know well I, I guess you need to be comfortable with your authentic self and and as I said I think sometimes you have to restrain yourself a little bit because of corporate culture and um, all the rest of that but, um, but, you know, you let it shine through. You work with some deeply creative people who have got very strong visions. And that's wonderful and very exciting. But sometimes that can make people difficult. Uh, we've all worked with difficult people. How do you communicate to difficult people? How do you get the message across when, when there's sometimes quite a lot of conflict there? Well, I think, um, I think the most important thing is to, uh, as you say, be authentic and, and, and be truthful to them. Because most of the people that, that where there is a conflict potential, um, they feel that they have been manipulated uh, in the past, which is why they want to be strong and hard and just have it their way because they feel that um, they haven't been treated the way they should be. They have been misled or whatever it might be. I, I feel like a lot of the, the times that um, conflict arises uh, with, with directors, for instance, or with, with actors, it's that... Um, that you have to bridge something that went wrong on a previous uh, production they were in. Um, sometimes it's also because some of your staff might have done something that was wrong. But um, but then again, you know, then you remind them that they are all just human beings and that we hired them together and that, um, you know, they are just trying to do their best. And if that's not the case, they are not trying to do their best, well, then you know, then you take the consequences. But normally, it's it's trying to um, to convince the the person you're talking to, you're communicating with, that that your interests are their interests, and um, and and that might not feel that way when you say you get a day less to shoot, or 
I'm taking, you know, some of your salary away because I just can't afford it or whatever it might be, you know, your favorite location. Yeah, sorry, but uh, we're not getting it. Um, oftentimes, uh, you know, it's shoot the messenger um, time rather than um, actually being angry. It's they know that these are the realities, but they do have to vent in any case. Um, and, and you just have to take that. And, and deal with it. So you have worked with a lot of really, really wonderful communicators in the form of, of actors. And I just wondered what you had personally learned from actors about communication. I think that's, I, I, it's an interesting question. I, I, I'm, I'm wondering whether they are that different to other communicators. Um, I mean, they are, it's very hard. I don't want to generalize and say they are more self-centered, but um, but maybe they are because 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 that's their job. It's that they are selling themselves, so they have to be more self-centered, or they come across more self-centered. Um, and and it's very interesting uh, to see how you know when you communicate with them, you you do need to listen a lot more than with other people. Um, because they want to tell you their story, who they are, what they do, and why they do what they do. Um, but then again, when you get into a real dialogue and you start to talk about yourself as well, and you you know you open that that door for them to see who you are behind the business person, um, then those relationships can become very close and, and trustful and, and, and how they should be. And I think that um, we, uh, the trust that you have to have with an actor is higher or there's a higher trust level than with others because they are so vulnerable um, because they have to be. And, um, and so building that trust on both sides is, is key to, to, um, to successful uh, relationships. So I just wonder if all of us could do with being a little bit more self-centered. So the process of recording this podcast and speaking to people is that a lot of people are deeply worried about um, failing themselves um, and, and then failing others, which kind of puts us into that position of being constantly aware of what other people think of us. But actually, I think if we spent a bit more time being a little bit more aware um, of ourselves and putting ourselves kind of front and center of, of what we do, um, then I, I think we would become better communicators because we would then understand more about ourselves and understand what our clear and compelling purpose is and going out there and, and pushing that and, and telling people about it, particularly as leaders, because if you've got this really strong vision and, you know, I always think the greatest businesses and the greatest organizations are led by people who it's not just about the money, it's about how they want to change the world. And I think if you've got that mission and you become a bit more self-centered about it, then you probably can stand up and talk about it and push that idea across. Um, so I think maybe we all need to be just a tiny bit more self-centered. I, I, I think my my family would probably say I'm self-centered enough. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, on that note, I think we'll we'll leave it there because um, it's been wonderful to talk to you for so many reasons. Um, and I know that I've been asking you for a while and I'm so grateful to you for coming on because I, I knew there would be loads of really interesting wisdom there, a couple of really exciting name drops and, and that kind of thing, which was great for me. So... Moritz, I wanted to thank you so much for being part of this. Before I go, however, before we go, um, what's in the pipeline? What can we look forward to that we that we need to know about that that we can kind of sit and perhaps binge watch on the telly? Well, I mean, the first thing that that uh, we are doing as as Windlight Pictures is a new show for Stars Play, um, and uh, it's their first German original. So we're very excited to be the ones that 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 uh, have gotten their first German commission. Um, it's called Night in Paradise. It's quite dark. It's kind of euphoria meets the Joker. Um, so we have a young um, female, well, the daughter of a taxi. The taxi driver is the Joker. He's 50s in his 50s and doesn't really have a future because there is no future for taxi drivers. And, and she comes to a town. They, they're estranged. And she is uh, intending to do an internship at a newspaper, but um, the uh, commissioning editors are still white male chauvinist pigs. And so on her first day of her internship, she quits and she starts her own podcast um, um, and um, starts ranting about life and, you know, hate speech and all the rest of that. Uh, and slowly but steadily learns that maybe that's not the right way to go. Maybe what you need to do is unify rather than destroy. Uh, and her father, who tries to get to know her again and tries to reconnect with her, is on the opposite path of, you know, he says, no, we have to first destroy in order to build something new. So so by the end of the first season, they're on, on opposite trajectories, but have come closer to one another. So that's that's a series. It, it won't be out for, for over a year because we only start shooting um, next month sometime. Anything that's kind of got a podcast in it, it's going to be great as far as I can. <laughs> Thank you so much. Have you subscribed to our podcast? We'd love it if you did. It's the easiest way to ensure that you don't miss an episode, but also an incredibly easy way to up your own leadership practice with wisdom from real leaders. And all you have to do is listen. All of the videos from each episode can also be found on our website, www.leader-connect.co.uk. Worth watching for my hairstyles alone. Bye.